There we go. Tonight, we are starting just with uh, Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. It's in your handout. And we call this just really the introduction to the Ten Commandments. Uh, God's first words as he gave them uh, to Moses, then to uh, the Israelites. So I'm going to read Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Let me pray for us, and I just want to kind of talk about what do we come up against when we come up against the Ten Commandments. Let's pray first, though. Lord, we thank you for your word, where we know that it is not just light into our eyes, it's a lamp into our path. We know that it exposes us to ourselves before you. But Lord, we know, too, the gift of your word is you reveal yourself to us. And Lord, um, you are our God. If we have trusted in your son, Jesus, we belong, body and soul, to you, such that not a hair can fall from our head apart from your will, and such that your love will never depart from us or depart from our eyes. So Lord, I pray that as we get into thinking about the Ten Commandments and thinking about these words that you gave um, first to the Israelites, but then to us, your people, would you bless us? Would you um, speak to us? Would you meet us, minister to us where we are? Not where we're pretending to be, but where we are, which, Lord, we know, even if it's not known to us, it's known to you. So, Lord, we, we pray and ask these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, so I mentioned briefly, my uh, trauma's too strong. I don't want to make light because trauma's a real thing. But my camping, part of why I don't want camping goes back to when I was 10 years old. I think I've told this story before, maybe a while ago. My, my family, avid endorsement through and through. My mom, dad, sister, me, just avid endorsement. Don't know what to do with the outdoors. But for whatever reason, my parents thought camping is a good idea to, to go on vacation and just go camping for a couple nights. So we went to Chimney Rock, not far from here. And here's, the, that was fine. Like, I remember at one point my mom got upset because she couldn't, like, get the hair dryer to work. So, you know, just to give you a window into how city my family is. Like, I remember that. I remember bringing this little pocket knife because uh, I thought it was going to be so cool to eat, like, bacon and eggs by the fire. And it just didn't work the way I thought it was going to work. But what I mostly remember, and this is the point, is my dad took us into the river. And again, I'm like nine, ten years old. And as we're going to kind of the, the calm side of the river, we have to pass this current. So on the way in, my dad takes my sister, who's four years younger than me, in his arms and, and just kind of gets us across this current. And we're playing, splashing, whatever you do in, in rivers. I don't remember it that well. But I remember being like, you know, a pre-adolescent, is that weird to say? And thinking, I want to cross that current by myself on the way back. Dad, can I do it? He's like, sure, be careful. It's pretty strong. I'm like, I got it. Just trust me. So I go to like make my way through this current. And what do you know? I get completely swept away in it. Now, you remember, I'm 10. All I've seen is like the Disney animation of like people falling off of waterfalls. <laughs> so I'm envisioning I'm going to my death. And all I really remember is being overwhelmed. If you've ever been lost in like a rapid or the current of a river, it is pretty terrifying. And I can just remember my dad shouting. Thankfully, I heard him. He just kept shouting, grab a rock, grab a rock, grab a rock. And I heard him enough. Thankfully, he was able to grab onto a rock, pull myself up. Then I remember looking at my mom, and she seemed to be laughing, which was very confusing to 10-year-old me. I was like, did you want me to die? Um, 
But I'm thinking about the Ten Commandments because if you've ever been in a disorienting, whether it's a river or a, a rapid or whether it was just some sort of muddy, destabilizing, snowy situation, you know the good feeling of landing back on solid ground, of grabbing onto a rock, something that's solid, that can hold you, that can be refuge for you. And that's maybe the simplest way to say, what are the Ten Commandments? If nothing else, they are that for us. They are a solid rock. Uh, given to us by the Lord Jesus to help us make sense of life in a fallen world, life with him, life with one another, life in his kingdom. And what I want to do is this is really probably the way we're going to do each commandment. And this is totally taken from a guy, a pastor in Nashville called Ray Ortland. But what do we come up against when we come up against the Ten Commandments? And I want you to see there are four things the Ten Commandments do for us or give to us. This why we're doing this this semester. First, they are revelation. Second, they are confrontation. Third, they are instruction. And then lastly, they are promise. And that's what I want to do tonight. I want to talk about how they are revelation, their confrontation, their instruction, and their promise. Let's start with their revelation. The Ten Commandments, if you're not very familiar, I think the easy way that we think about it, at least culturally, is there are just these random rules we're meant to live by. And maybe, you're, maybe you think, okay, I'm not so familiar. They seem a little bit, if not oppressive, they seem a little bit... Mm, Uh, outdated. And the first thing that I want you to see that we have to get if we're going to understand them rightly is first and foremost, the Ten Commandments, each one of them is revelation about who God is to us and for us. And that's why we started with, and God spoke all these words. He is saying something to us through his commandments that we have to get about his character, about who he is, about what he is like. Not just what he loves and what he hates, but who is he to us? Uh, again, I like the way that Ray, I can't say it better than Ray Ortland. Here's the way he says it. <clears throat> he says, each of the Ten Commandments is revelation. Each one gives us an insight into the character of God. For example, what kind of amazing person would say to us, you shall not steal? Only a just and generous person who can be fully trusted, who would never rob us or defraud us, who would never lie or cheat, who would never hold out on us wrongly, who is not out for himself, who feels no need and no appetite, but only overflowing kindness and abundance. This is Jesus. And one of the things that we're going to do week by week is show you how Jesus really does not just fulfill these commandments, but he embodies them because they reveal to us the character of God himself. Another way to say it is these are not these oppressive rules set by this capricious God bent on controlling us. Instead, they are revelation. They are a glimpse. They are a window into the heart of this covenant-making and covenant-keeping God who sent his son, Jesus, to redeem us. Here's the way I want to do it. So Jesus, if you know the Gospels very well, he tells this weird parable, Matthew 25. It's called the parable of the talents. And if you know this parable, essentially it's a parable of a master who gives to servants different amounts of talents. And then he comes back to see what they've done with them. It's a, kind of a weird parable because the first one, like, they, two, the first two guys basically double their investments. But then the third guy, you feel kind of bad for him because what he does is he just buries the talent in the ground. And the master's like, why did you do that? And he says, and this is huge for us. He says, because I knew you to be a hard man. The old translations say, because I knew you to be a harsh taskmaster. Let me just put it on the table. For a lot of you, that is your view of God. 
You think of him as a harsh taskmaster. You think he is bent on controlling your life. And that maybe is how you see all of scripture, but especially his commandments. What I want you to convince you of this semester is no, a harsh taskmaster doesn't go to the cross for you. Um, I love the way that John Newton, if, if, you're, if you struggle with depression or discouragement, uh, there are these beautiful letters written by John Newton, the guy that wrote Amazing Grace, to his friend, William Cooper, who really, really, really badly struggled with depression. And there are so many moments in these letters between them where John Newton is just trying to convince his friend how gracious God is. And there's this one quote that I love where he says to him, Jesus is not a harsh taskmaster. He does not punish the bad guys, but dies for them. The crown he chooses is not made of gold, but of thorns. Think about the revelation that God is showing his character to us in these commandments. Think about it. God is holy and wholly devoted to redeeming us. There's no trace of hypocrisy in him. He's a God of rest, not toil. He is our father who loves us even where our earthly parents failed us. His anger is righteous and never selfish. He is pure in his love, refusing to lustfully use us. He is generous. He is truthful always. We can trust him. And he is content to delight in us and over us. So first, revelation. But then second, they're not just revelation. They're also confrontation. So one of the things we say about Ten Commandments is part of their function, if you've read Paul's letters, is part of their function is to show us what we just, why I love, why I think Come You Sinners is a banker. Because they're meant to show us tangibly, practically, why and how much we need Jesus. Uh, so they're, they're confrontation. In other words, they invite us, each commandment invites us to take a long look in the mirror and be ruthlessly honest about ourselves, with ourselves, before each other, and before God. So th- if the Ten Commandments, both revelation, they show us the heart of Jesus, the other thing they do is they also show us our hearts, which cry out in need to be saved, in need for Jesus, the way that Paul says it. They show us, in other words, how that we all fall short of the glory of God. That's why when, when God says at the beginning, he reminds them, I've brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and yet if you know yourself truly... If you know yourself soberly, you know there is something in me and in you that longs to go back to Egypt. That longs to go back to the comfort of our idols. That longs, it sounds weird to say, that longs to go back to our enslavement, to sin, and to Satan himself. And the reality is we are pretty unself-aware when it comes to our sinfulness. That's why my guy John, my guy, my guy John Newton yeah, he's my, my dude. My dude, John Newton. The other thing he'll say is no one can be told that they're a sinner. They have to be shown. In the Ten Commandments, what we're going to be doing, and this is going to be the hard part of this semester, is we're going to be, starting with myself, taking a look in the mirror at our own sinfulness. Um, let me try it this way. So uh, I left, we're well beyond Christmas. Wish, wish we were back. Wish we could go back. But Christmas time, family tradition, we always watch all the office Christmases. And Christmas party is un- it's just unbeatable. And you know Christmas party is where Michael just wants to throw this amazing Christmas party. And he goes all in with the iPod and he's trying to buy all the alcohol. And it kind of the- builds to that scene where he says, happy birthday, Jesus. I'm sorry, I'm sorry your party was so lame. Um, but when, I- when you watch, and this is, not just off- this is not just Christmas party, but really when you watch the whole show, 
it's hard to watch Michael Scott, right? Like, on the one hand, he is so painfully unself-aware. And he is so able to turn even something like Christmas that's not at all about him <laughs> into being entirely about him. And the Ten Commandments tell us we are all Michael Scott, right? We are all deeply unself-aware when it comes to our son, deeply able to make everything about us, about me. Think about it through the lens again in the commandments. We don't really love God. We use him. We run to our idols at the drop of a hat. We call ourselves Christians when it's convenient, but flee from all the hard self-denying parts. Uh, We hate our parents or take them for granted at least. We lose our tempers and deep pettiness. We lust. We lust. We steal or at least feel entitled to disrespecting everyone else's stuff. We're full of greed. We want for ourselves. We lie. My God, do we lie. (laughs) Effortlessly. All the time. And do any of us live in complete contentment in the life that's been given us in Jesus? Or are we not filled with envy and covetousness? Part of the hard part of the Ten Commandments is they show us, they're a constant reminder to us how deeply we need Jesus, how deeply we cannot save ourselves, how deeply we needed Jesus to go to the cross for our sin, how deeply we can say with Paul in Romans 7, why do I do the things that I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I know I should do? And he cries out, who will save me from this body of death? Praise be to our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a huge part. The the commandments are confrontational. They show us our need for Jesus. They show us our sin. But then, let's keep going. Three, they're not just revelation. They're not just confrontation. But they're also instruction. That's why Psalm 119 is this beautiful, long, long, long psalm. All about delighting in God's law. And I think for those of us who, if you've been a Christian for a while and you've been amazed by grace, it can be hard to figure out, what do I do with this? It feels like a tension of law and grace. But I think the better way to say it is, uh, I like the way the old Puritans used to say it is, the law leads us by the hand to Jesus, showing us our need, showing us our sin. But then part of Jesus's work of sanctification in us by his spirit is to lead us back to the law in the context of his grace, in the context of the cross, and show us what a beautiful life lived to God is. Um, so the way that I want to think about it is it's instruction. Another way to say it is we live in a culture that doesn't easily, it's not easy for us to live as Christians. And, and we, we can't even know how to begin to do that without the Ten Commandments, which is why God says to the Israelites, I have brought you out of the land of Egypt. There was much in Egypt to be loved and commended, but it's clear the vision of community that God has for us, his people, with himself and with one another, is distinct. It is different. In other words, we should be weird. Uh, <laughs> old pastor used to say, you're not cool, you're a Christian. It's like, yep. Uh, we, uh, years ago, we took this road trip uh, out to California, and we made a stop in Austin, Texas. And one of the things, I think you can see these signs in Asheville, North Carolina, but you've seen, certainly they were all over the place in Asheville or in Austin, Texas, where it just said, keep Austin weird. And it's like, the Ten Commandments are kind of saying to us, keep, keep Christianity weird. It's not going to completely culturally make sense. Now, if we don't get point number one and believe that they are flowing from the goodness of God to us, there's no way we're going to trust Jesus enough to be weird. But if we know these commandments flow from God's goodness, they show us our need for Jesus, but they also show us the beautiful life. 
the good life that Jesus clarifies in the Sermon on the Mount, which is fascinating. We've done the Sermon on the Mount over virtual ministry, which is so fun. But Jesus, what he's doing is he's giving, he's enhancing, he's, he's further applying the Ten Commandments. He's, he's further showing us what life in his kingdom is. I think about it like this. I don't, I'm a huge TV person. If you've been around, you know this about me. But one of the all-time characters of all time is a guy in The Wire, HBO's The Wire, called Omar Little. And if you've not seen The Wire, it's a show about essentially life in the city of Baltimore, focusing on different aspects. But one of the aspects they focus on is crime and gangs. And Omar kind of fits into that. He's through the whole thing, but he fits into those seasons most particularly. And Omar is the guy who's kind of a loner. He's on his own, and he makes his living by ripping off the rival gangs. And there's this beautiful, I mean, there's so many quotable Omar moments, but there's this one moment where he has refused to kill someone, and he's talking with the cops, he's talking with McNulty, and he's, McNulty's trying to understand, like, Omar, what, like, sometimes you surprise us. You don't do what we think you're going to do. And in this scene, this is an all-time quote, Omar just says, yeah, that's right, because a man's got to have a code. A man's got to have a code. And what I want you to see is the Ten Commandments are our code. They're what we're meant to live by. How we're meant to live a life of love and joy to Jesus in this culture, in this world. Which means God very much cares about our worship. God very much cares about our integrity. He very much cares about how we work and how we rest. He very much cares about how we treat our families and our parents and our siblings. He very much cares about how we handle our anger. He very much cares about how we carry ourselves sexually. He very much cares about how we handle ourselves with money. He very much cares about our honesty, about our contentment. He cares about our lives. And the Ten Commandments give us this. But the temptation that I think we're prone to is we don't really, if, you're, if you and I are being honest... We live in a culture that says, I belong to me. My body, my choice, which, man, left or right, right? My body, my choice. And the radical notion of Christianity is you don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. I love the way that Alan Noble, he literally wrote this book called You Are Not Your Own. Here's how he says it. I think it's in your handout. He says, when you choose to follow God's laws out of personal preference... You will eventually discover a breaking point where your desire for experiences or self-expression comes up hard against an ethical law. And at that moment, you can choose to abandon Christianity, we call that college, as an inadequate or antiquated lifestyle, or find a more inclusive style of Christianity, or you can accept that Christianity was never meant to be a lifestyle and with the aid of the Holy Spirit deny your desire. Only if you truly belong to someone else does the latter option make any sense. If you belong to yourself, then it is foolish and perhaps even abusive to deny yourself. But if you are not your own, it matters what you do with your body. I think about, I have a friend who, he's a, he's a believer, he's a Christian, but he struggles um, with homosexuality. He struggles with same-sex attraction. And uh, years ago, I, he was doing a conference and he was, he was talking about it. And he said something that I'll never forget, just about his own. Um, he would be a celibate Christian who says, I don't think the Lord's going to change these desires. But uh, I do think Scripture is clear what faithfulness to Jesus looks like. We can talk about this. I know this is controversial. But the thing that he said, and this was like big picture, not getting into the weeds of how hard that conversation is. But what he said is, uh, when, I, when Jesus talks about self-denial, we normally think about it like, don't eat chocolate. Have the willpower to not look at porn or to not do this or to not do that. He's like, all right, fair enough. That's not... That's not wrong. 
But he said, I actually think a more radical view and what Jesus means by self-denial is this. It is a refusal to let anyone or anything define you except Jesus. It is a refusal to let anyone or anything define you but Jesus. And that's hard, y'all. That's not easy. But that is the instruction of what the Ten Commandments give us in life with Jesus. But then lastly, it's not just revelation. It's not just confrontation. It's not just instruction. And I want to end on this because I think we miss this maybe the most. We miss one and four, I think, the most. It is also promise. Notice that before God gives, this is why we're doing one and two tonight at Exodus 20, that before God ever gives a single commandment, he reminds us of who he is to us and what he's done for us. In other words, you see what he's saying? Tim Keller says it like this. Christianity is not obey me, then get my love. Christianity is you've already got my love. Now trust it with your obedience. In God's kingdom, promise always precedes and infuses principle. The God who is love is the one who gives these commandments, and they are dripping with promise. The promise of what God is going to do and has started to do in his people, in you and in me, that we are all, let's be honest, this is what I love about RUF. If you don't think you're a work in progress, I don't know what we're doing. Because if this isn't a place you can be honest about faith and life with Jesus, what are we doing? We're all works in progress, and we're banking on not our ability to get it done. We're banking on God's faithfulness to see it through to the very end, until we are finally with him, forever with him in the new heavens and the new earth. And there is much to be done, and there's much to be changed. But it's also a promise of what God has begun to do in our world in making all things new. Here's what I want you to see, that there's a day coming, if we belong to Jesus, those of us who belong to the resurrected Jesus, where these commandments will be deeply true, not just for us, but about us. In other words, the work that we call sanctification, God making us holy, God making us faithful and obedient. Um, right, so the worst, I was thinking about the worst video to come out of the pandemic is easy for me. This was early pandemic days. Gal Gadot, 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 whatever, uh, Wonder Woman. Remember that video she did where all the celebrities sang John Lennon's Imagine? It was just truly awful. If you haven't seen it, you, you should have to endure the misery of it. It's just, first of all, that song, I, Beatles were great. John, I love John Lennon, but that song is kind of low-key garbage. We could talk. Um, but also to watch celebrities in the luxury of their homes sing this song about coming together over COVID was just laughable at best and just like, so misguided at worst. But here's the Ten Commandments. They do literally invite us to imagine our future. Uh, what Tim Keller calls our future glory selves. Uh, to imagine this future that is fueled by the unrelenting faithfulness of Jesus, who has promised to love us now and always and forever. And to never leave us or forsake us. And to never be shocked by anything that we struggle with. And I want you just to, for a second, imagine life in the new heavens and the new earth with Jesus. This is where we're going. And just imagine for a second. Just imagine what this would be like. We will only love him fully and truly. We won't have any other gods. 
all of our idols will finally die the death they deserve to die. There won't be an ounce of hypocrisy in us. We will be tried and true. With him, our work will be true and our rest will be full. All our parent wounds will be finally healed. Our jealousy and anger that so often consume us will be laid to rest. Our lust will die a forever death. Our treasures will not be in our bank accounts or in our shoes or in our clothes or in our cars, but in him. Our words will be so seasoned with grace and truth. They'll be full of life and life-giving. And here's the hardest part. This is where Paul got converted. Our hearts will finally be content in the fullness that is ours in him. The Ten Commandments promise that the work God began in us in redeeming us will come to fruition I'll close with this. So years ago, I was speaking at this camp in, in the middle of nowhere, Georgia. And I can't remember. I was trying to think. I don't know how this happened, but I'd done my, the session. It was fine. I was trying to walk back to the cabin. But I guess I'd left my phone in the cabin. And it was like, we're in the middle of nowhere, Georgia, toward the mountains. It's like pitch black. And I'm like, I've never been to this camp before. So I'm like stumbling my way on this trail. And I literally, y'all, I got to the point. <laughs> you ever been to this point where you're like, you don't have a, a light. I don't know where I'm going. And I almost started to yell for help. You know, like, help, help me. Thankfully, someone came up behind me with a flashlight. And they were like, hey, you look lost. I was like, yes, yes, please, I am. And they took me. They are like, hey, let me show you the way. Here's, let me take you back to your cabin. I think about this as a small moment. But I think about me lost in the dark. What did I need? I needed someone who cared enough to, like, help me. I needed someone to rescue me. I needed someone to show me the way to light the path. And I needed someone to lead me by the hand to a place of light and security. And that's what Jesus has for us in him and gives to us in these commandments. And so that's what we're going to be doing this semester. So I would love for you to, to stay with us, to keep joining us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word again. We thank you for the gospel. Uh, we thank you that... The bad news is we are more sinful than we want to believe or think. And yet the good news is you know that and you love us and you came for us and you went to the cross for us because you love us and you rejoice over us. And you are glad to be our God, glad to be our Savior. Um, Lord, I pray that either you, for those of us who have believed, who, who trust you, would you renew us by the gospel? And for those of us who maybe are still like, I'm not so sure, would you meet us? Invite us with our questions, invite us with our doubts, knowing that you meet us not as a harsh taskmaster, but as a gentle and gracious and patient Savior. Lord, we pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. Please stand and sing our last song.